Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. This is episode one of the Prudery podcast. It's pronounced Prudery. It's Welsh. I apologize if a very unsophisticated Pridery slips out in my American accent. Uh, we'll do our best. My name is Kevin Reddington. I'm an attorney here at Elizabeth Morgan and Associates. Don't be fooled by the polo shirt. Um, despite the fact that we are a law firm, uh, this is not a legal representation podcast. This is just an informational podcast. If you want to work with us. We'd love for that to be the case, but frankly, we don't really need any more clients at this point. This is just to get information out there and to correct misinformation. Really, that's the purpose of this podcast. And as you can see, it's already um, the most successful podcast of all time, as you can see by the view count below. Four. Uh, anyways, yes, it's going to go straight to the top. It's going to be the best you've ever seen. No one's going to come close. Joe Rogan, get out of the way. No, um, I apologize. Um, yes, it's going to be an informational podcast mostly for entrepreneurs and business people from the legal side of things. We selected the name Prudery because that is a Welsh figure in Welsh mythology that was known for fighting foes much bigger than himself, often to his own detriment. And so that's what we like to see ourselves as doing as a law firm. Whether or not we do do that, you can be the judge of that. Um, episode one is going to be between a conversation between our partner, the partner at our law firm, Elizabeth Morgan. She has 30 plus years of experience in the asset protection space. She quite literally wrote the book on asset protection and um, her pedigree is pretty unmatched in this area. And she's going to be interviewing a good friend of ours named Ernst Walsh, who also is a very impressive figure in the country of Liechtenstein, or as they pronounce it over there, Liechtenstein. Um, and in this conversation, they're gonna be talking about Liechtenstein as a jurisdiction. Uh, it is a principality, which means it's ruled by a prince, but it's often a place that we put a lot of our trust structures in and um, a custody, a lot of our assets. And immediately when people think of putting their assets in a place like that, they're thinking about rich people hiding their money overseas so they don't have to pay taxes. No, that's illegal. Um, everything that you have overseas, you have to both report to the IRS and pay taxes on, so that doesn't happen. But we do use it for diversification. If you want to have your assets denominated, which means tracked in Swiss francs, for example, you have to have an actual structure in Switzerland or Liechtenstein or another one of those countries. So that's the reason we do that. They're going to talk about that a little more, but this conversation is a bit more broad introduction to who Ernst is. So in just a minute, I'm going to send it over to Elizabeth to introduce him. If you want to get in contact with us, you can email me, kreddington at prideripodcast.com. That's my podcast email. Um, there's going to be a link to a website in the description below if you're on YouTube. If you're on listening to this in the audio version, then you can just Google our firm, Elizabeth Morgan and Associates, and you can get in contact with us there. Um, and that's going to do it for episode one. And take it away, Elizabeth. Good morning from Vedius Lichtenstein. I'm honored to be here with my good friend and mentor, Dr. Ernst Walsh. Dr. Walsh, welcome. Uh, actually, you should be welcoming us to your country because we are uh, the ones who are guests. Behind us is the beautiful Castle of Vaduz, and we're going to spend just a little bit of time this morning talking about the country of Liechtenstein, its legal system, and its history. Um, Dr. Walsh is an esteemed member of the bar here in Liechtenstein. He's qualified in New York and uh, Liechtenstein, uh, practices internationally. His resume will be in the notes, so you can reference it, but Dr. Walsh, Good morning. Why don't you give a little bit of your background? Well, I was born and raised in this country. 
my family can be traced back to 1342. So um, we've been around for a bit. I have six children. So you see family goes first. Um, they in turn have 10 grandchildren. They have 10 children. So my father and grandpa of 10 right now, grandchildren. It's a big family in this country too. Uh, average would be one to two children only. Um, I studied law at Innsbruck Law School in Austria. In this country, it is a small country, a tiny country with only 39,000 inhabitants. So we don't have a university of our own. There's one with two departments, but no, not law. And um, our government has treaties with both Switzerland and Austria, and we can choose and pick where we want to study. It's all paid by the government, by the way. And um, I decided, um, I opted for Austria because um, from an historic point of view, our court system is um, derived from the Austrian court system. It's independent, but uh, we look west, east and west, Austrian, Switzerland, uh, when we enact laws and see what helps best, what we think is best, and then we pick and choose. And so um, I decided to study law in Austria, as I said. I, I got a doctorate degree, and then I went to the United States and studied at NYU. How come that? Liechtenstein enacted the common law concept of trust law in 1926. So in four years from now, we'll celebrate 100 years of trust law. Um, it's a very good codification, I'd like to say, Liechtenstein being a civil law jurisdiction, continental European jurisdiction, not a common law one. But I thought, you know, in those days, in the 70s, 80s, Universities were not as internationally minded and set up as today. So you wouldn't get any uh, European laws uh, taught or concepts of common law such as trusts. And so I thought it was good to study and get an academic background with regard to trust law, which is was, has become a body of law, as I said, but it... Um, it was the English solicitors and the American attorneys who would draft the instruments, etc. And, and the Liechtenstein lawyers at the time served as mere nominees. And I thought, that's not the future. That's why I went to study law, and I went to study law in New York, because I had a, a background uh, to scouting the Boy Scouts of America. I spent two summers in a Boy Scout camp in Ohio, and so I had a very good basis and relationship with Americans. Um, Ohioans, I felt, were very hospitable people. And so I decided and opted not for England, which would be closest and, and would make sense. But I went um, for the U.S., for the mecca of lawyers being New York City. And that's where I got a law degree from NYU. And, and then I worked in a Wall Street law firm. And then I took the bar exam. And only after that, having after having been admitted to the New York bar and, of course, federal courts too, I then I came back home and, um, and did the clerkships and whatever you had to do in order to get the bar exam here and finally pass the bar exam. So at the age of 28, I had two law degrees and I had two bar exams, and that was quite unique um, in this country. So one of the things that we didn't really start with, which we should have, is the question about Liechtenstein itself. 
So uh, for most of our viewers, uh, Liechtenstein might as well be a Walt Disney castle uh, in a Walt Disney created uh, country. So one of the things that is unique about this little country is that it is indeed a country, it's a principality. Um, and we're going to build a little bit on Art's background that he just gave you to explain how the country has progressed in its legal systems and in its approaches to both entities and trusts. So let's uh, talk a little bit about Liechtenstein. We're located this morning at a beautiful hotel called the Sonnenhof in Vaduz. It uh, sits on the side of a mountain. Uh, this morning you can see the castle and the mountains across the Rhine Valley. Um, Part of the reason I wanted to film here is so you can see it's a real place. It's not made up. And uh, that people and professionals are also real. People like like Dr. Ernst Walsh. So quickly, let's talk about, about what the country is. It's a principality. It's, uh, we th The history is unique and we could spend probably two hours on the totality of the history. But why don't you give us a very brief history of how the principality came to be and how it exists today in the current international environment. And one of the things we didn't mention uh, at the beginning with the introduction is that in addition to being a lawyer, Ernst was head of the uh, ruling party in Liechtenstein for a period of time and the Minister of Foreign, Affair, Foreign Affairs. 2001 to 2005. So he has not only legal understanding, long standing roots in Liechtenstein, but also a political understanding. So with that, let's talk about the history of this little principality. And before I served as foreign minister in the U.S. Parliament Secretary of State, I, I served in Parliament as a member of Parliament for eight years and also served as uh, president of parliament, the youngest in modern history. So that's yeah, politically, that's the important <laughs> point. Um, politically, yes, I have had a very deep um, uh, insight into politics, both locally and also internationally, truly. Anyway, uh, yeah, let's go back to the Roman ages, uh, 2000 years ago, uh, Liechtenstein or this area, the Alps were part of the Ro Roman empire. And as it disintegrated in the 5th, 6th, 7th century, um, Teutonic Germanic tribes were pushing south from the north uh, into the Alps and also here. And um, there was no, no state concept anymore. And today you'd say warlords and, and, and important families started to build their own estates and little uh, counties and fiefdoms, etc. And so two of those, one was called Schellenberg, which is today the northern part of our country, and Vaduz, the southern one. Vaduz being the, the also capital city or town of this country. And then in, in the... 15th, 16th, 17th century, various families ruled these two counties, first uh, Montfort, then Frandis, and then Sultz, and then Hohenems, each family for about 100 years, pretty much. And uh, they 
they went down the line by marriages, not so much war. We had lots of wars and stuff, but that came from outside um, because the Rhine Valley is an inroad into the Alps and strategically very important. And a road, a Roman road, went through what is today Liechtenstein. We still have small parts of that that you can actually see. Anyway, so in, in, in the 17th century, uh, the family of Huenens ruled these two counties and they sort of um, wanted to be smaller Wassoulet sun kings like, like the French and they spent massive monies too much. So they were at the French bankruptcy and they had to sell uh, parts of their lands and the Iranians and then in 1699 they decided to sell the smaller part which is Schellenberg today's northern part of the country and there was a prince a family in Vienna called Liechtenstein um, and they were looking around they were scouting around for land which is outside of the Holy Roman Empire of the German nation what was that? that's a concept that's a a, a political uh, institution that's lasted for 500 years altogether. And there were lots of um, counties and, and, and uh, kingdoms, etc., more than 300, who formed that Holy Roman Empire of the German nation, holy because the Pope would have to give a blessing to the emperor and the Roman Empire was, was that what I would call a romantic idea of a political institution um, and, and of the German nation, meaning those, those nations that spoke German. So what is today Germany, Austria, the Czech Republic, all of that was all German speaking. And the, the hands of these entities, or the, the dukes and the kings and the princes and the counts, they would elect the emperor. They had political power. Um, and that happened in the Reichstag. And they would get together as soon as a emperor died, and then they would elect. And these princes of Liechtenstein, and the then ruling prince Hans Adam I, was nicknamed the rich, or immensely rich, but he had no political power. Why? Because all the states and lands, there lots of lands and states, but they were all given as liens, which became hereditary, but still, it was all given by the Habsburgs, etc., and they amassed that. <laughs> but, sorry, but they had nothing independent from this Holy Roman Empire of the German nation. So they didn't own any property themselves? They owned a lot of property, but it was not independent from, okay. from the empire. And so they were scouting around the edges to find something. And there in 1699 was this little, little county, a few square miles. And it was nestled between this huge Holy Roman Empire German nation to the east. And an entity, a political entity, was growing the Swiss Confederation. And at the Rhine Valley, there was this little thing which was independent. So they went for it. And then in 1712, the Hohenems, there was a lot of witch hunt going on in the 17th century. Um, witch hunt economically was very simple. If somebody was declared a witch and put to death, and that could be men or women, 
um, then the assets of that which would is cheat to the not the state but to the king or ruling ruling person or prince uh, or count in that time and it was a real disease uh, there were 3,000 inhabitants at that time in these two counties Wadots and Sherba and 300 were put to death so it was uh, so you're saying there was a motivation if you're bankrupt if you could find someone declare them a witch, then you could take their property. Yeah, it's a bit like today. You are declared a money launderer, and the money is cheats to the state. Simple. It's then much the same. Uh, if there's one difference, at the time they were put to death, today they were put in prison, and they're named and shamed, and that's it. Anyway, so in 1712, the, the princes of Liechtenstein bought the sovereignty rights, they don't buy the land, but you buy the sovereignty rights of the county of Redoots. So they had the two together, um, Schellenberg and Redoots. And in seven, they take some political back and forth. And in 1719, the then emperor of the Holy Roman Emperor German nation, he then declared and accepted the two counties as a principality of Liechtenstein as a member of the Holy Roman Empire. And since then, the princes of Liechtenstein have actual political power. So in 2019, we celebrated 300 years of um, uh, the country of Liechtenstein, independent from all the other countries. Never been safe in over during those 300 years by anyone, from Austria or Switzerland or Germany, not even the Nazis during World War II. So the country is bordered by Austria to the east, Switzerland. That's it. To the west, Germany is fifty kilometers. Starts fifty kilometers north, and it starts a hundred kilometers south. Okay, so you are right in the very middle, in the heart of the Alps. Okay, and the defining point between Liechtenstein and Switzerland is the Rhine. It's the Rhine, Rhine, and there is one mountain chain in our country, and behind is Austria. Okay. It's um, it's it's um, it's 161 square kilometers, the size of which, that's exactly the same, um, uh, the same area, like the diamond of Washington D.C. Wow, it's so one difference. Liechtenstein is more powerful than Washington. <laughs> I I so what argue? Okay, what is and the population of Liechtenstein is what? Population is 40,000, not quite forty thousand yet. In, um, sorry, um, and of which, which might be notable, uh, more than a third, about thirty-seven, thirty-eight percent, um, are foreigners who live here permanently. They don't have a Liechtenstein passport. They have a Swiss or Austrian, Italian, U.S. or what have you passport. Um, an interesting question is. Of those 15,000 inhabitants that do not have a Liechtenstein passport, uh, but reside here uh, permanently and uh, work here and pay taxes and everything, um, how many different nationalities do you think move in this country? Yeah, I have no idea. How, well, first of all, how many nationalities are possible? Well, there are 193. Maybe by now, by now, 100, no, 193 countries uh, recognized and being a member of the United Nations. 
So you would expect maybe 20, 30, et cetera, European countries. No, no. no, it's 105 different nationalities, which okay. shows how, how, how international, uh, how diverse this country is. Wow, 105, yeah. that's amazing. It's amazing. No big numbers. There are a few, there are a few Americans, there are a few Brits, there are a few uh, from Cuba, from Mongolia, from you name it. Really, it's so, so many countries, it's interesting. Why, why is that so? Because Liechtenstein is the, percentage-wise, the highest industrialized country in the world, meaning about 46% of the workforces, of the working population works in manufacturing industry. So, and then of course we have the financial sector, but that contributes only, which is a lot, but still only 25% to the revenue of this country. It's not, it's not just a um, 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 financial place with banks and fiduciary companies and accounting firms. No, no. The, the largest part is manufacturing industry. So, um, which is really interesting because it's, there's such a small amount of real estate in this country. But to have that much manufacturing is pretty impressive. Um, I remember you telling me a story about World War II, at the end of World War II, the country being in, you know, bereft and needing to borrow money to buy potatoes for its inhabitants. And then thinking about the fact that that's not even 100 years ago, how financially secure the country is now. So maybe you could explain that for our listeners. In, in short, in, after World War I, in 1918, Liechtenstein had had a customs union with Austria until the end of the, for World War I when Austria lost the war. And so everything crumbled to the east. And of course, the, the um, customs union well, was also terminated. And um, the Austins walked away and we walked away and we had our own currency for like five years, which was not worth the paper. Mm -hmm. We have no natural resources. We have nothing. We have only rocks and education, I hope. And so therefore, and we then turned to Switzerland and we entered into a customs union with Switzerland in 1923. And we used the Swiss franc. There was no treaty which used the Swiss franc because anybody could use the US dollar or the Swiss franc or whatever. That's what we did. And until World War II, we continued to pretty much be the poorhouse. Very, very poor um, uh, people, most of it farming. Still green today, but farming is less than 1% today. And in, after World War II, um, we stayed, luckily stayed out of this Nazi thing they had. There was pressure in this country. There were like 200 people who really wanted the Anschluss, but the, the people here said no. It was the, the, the birth of the scouts in Liechtenstein because a few years before we had a big flood the Rhine, the River Rhine flooded half of our country, literally half of our country. And that was very, very bad. And the first ones that came to help were the Swiss and the Austrian scouts. So there was a very good basis, but the Hitler youth, the, the, the propaganda was pushing towards Liechtenstein. And we had no army. And we have no army, no military forces. So 
there was nothing that we could we could uh, get the our young people interested in. So they introduced scouting, and they become very strong. We don't our scouts scout movement does not have a military basis or background. The opposite. If you know, the first ones had long hair, and uh-huh. all that. But anyway, and during World War Two, yeah, there was hunger, and Liechtenstein uh, took up a loan from the Swiss government of uh, two million Swiss francs a day to feed the people. And today, um, the budget of, for these 39, 40,000 inhabitants, the, the, the national budget is 900 million Swiss francs. And the government has a bit less than 3 billion in the savings funds. So it's uh, fairly rich in, in relative terms, very rich in absolute terms, not really. 3 billion is not much. But still, we have no debts, and uh, we are rated, Liechtenstein is rated as a AAA country, one of right. very, very few. Right, right. So, um, what is the tax rate here? We have, um, for companies, corporations, a corporate tax is uh, 12.5% flat tax. Um, and that doesn't really include all taxes have to be very fair. Um, it's not a general income tax. Yes, it is an income tax, but dividends are excluded. They're not taxed. They're not taxed, uh, right. And the capital gains are not taxed either. So it's it's salaries and it's interests, really, that's taxed. And that at 12.5% corporate rate. And uh, on, on individual and personal rate, it balances a progressive rate and it's true uh, it's, it goes from zero, you know, 25% of the population pay no tax. And um, the other richer you get, the more you pay tax. But it ends at 10, 12%. And then with the mandatory social security um, premiums and all that you need for pension plan, and all mm-hmm. that, that's all man- mandatory, including that it's maximum 20%. But that includes all of that, which you get back once. Right, once you're retired. Okay, I'm gonna wind it up right, right here. All right, so we're we're back on, and um, we had been talking a little bit about the tax system, which is something that um, is really fascinating to me as, in some respects, a social scientist, because it's uh, it's always seemed to me that. If you want to understand a culture or a community, look at their the way that they tax their citizens and the view that they have about taxes in general, budgets, et cetera. So one of the things that I've always loved about this country is the way that um, there's a system of accountability with the citizens mm-hmm. uh, in connection with Parliament and the Princely family. So I'd like for you to talk about that a little bit. And in our time together, we've known each other more than 25 years. I've seen the tax system, the tax rates actually go down uh, and the social services continue to be very robust, which for us in America is is something that we're wrestling with currently because we want to have a social system but our, we can't quite get our spending under control. 
and we can't quite get our tax situation uh, in some kind of balanced form. So if you would kind of begin with the idea of the way that the Liechtenstein system works, uh, because I think our listeners will be really interested to hear how much accountability Parliament really has. Well, we've heard that Liechtenstein is a principality. It's not a kingdom, not a county. It's a, it's a principality. Right. In the in the system of royals, um, the the princes are somewhere in between. They're below the kings, uh, and they are above the counts and and, and dukes. Um, so, Liechtenstein is a dual system. In in short, um, the the Constitution says it's an hereditary constitutional monarchy on a democratic and parliamentary basis. What's that? What does that mean? Okay, it's a it, it, it's 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 a monarchy, meaning there is a family that has certain rights. It's hereditary, meaning that the family laws of that monarchy of the family of Liechtenstein decides who is the ruling prince. But it's constitutional, meaning it's not an absolute monarchy. It's bound, the family laws and the, 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 the royals are bound by the constitution. The constitution says what rights they have and what not. And, and it says on a democratic and parliamentary basis, meaning that the people is represented by parliament which is elected in a democratic way. So we have two sovereigns who share the power. On the one hand, the prince, and the other hand, the people represented by parliament. The interesting thing when it comes to the legal uh, 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 aspects is that the people has so-called direct democratic rights. Generally, the the demo democracies we have are representative democracies, meaning the people are represented by parliament, by congress, by senate, two chambers, maybe only one. We have one chamber, the parliament. In German, it's called Landtag. And so the parliament and the prince together promulgate the laws. It is not correct if some would say, other oh, prince has a veto right. But parliament decides the prince can veto it. No, it takes both sovereigns, the prince and parliament, to enact a law. So neither has a, a, a veto power. It takes, it, it, it is always a compromise. The two have to have the same view and the same idea, and then the law comes into effect. Otherwise, there is no law. So with only two deciding, they really have to compromise. There's Correct. no third leg. No, and that's that's uh, very good for us because you don't have a single power that's too strong. Mm -hmm. It always yeah. takes two. And above that are the so-called direct democratic rights, the referendum and the initiative. What does that mean? Any law that is to be promulgated can be, not by, by non-panatorially, but can be subject to a referendum, meaning that the people, it takes only 1,200 voters, 1,200 signatures, today very easy, they can be collected by by, by uh, email, internet, mm -hmm. um, they can request 
that a, a law before it is enacted that it is sub that is submitted to the people by way of a referendum and if a majority of the people then says no no law then there ain't no law which means it has a preventive um effect politicians know know exactly that if we go too far it'll be thrown out by by referendum happens five six seven eight times a year so that's something that also is is unheard of. So if we were to equate that to the United States, uh, we are a representative republic, uh, not really a democracy. But what's interesting about the way that Liechtenstein does this is there is, there are some democratic rights, some rights to a referendum. We go even which... further. We have the right to initiative too. If parliament doesn't act, then again, 1,200 votes or voters can request by way of an initiative that a certain law that they, that they draft be enacted. And then it is submitted to parliament. And if parliament does not act upon that, then it's going to be for the people and the people will vote yes or no, and then it will become a law or not. So you're saying that the, the public can draft a law? Yeah. Ah, I like that. That's so, that's a that's a so-called initiative, right? Right. So right. you can't imagine with these uh, with these checks and balances. Um, we once had. I was in Parliament, as I said, I served in Parliament. It was in the early nineties. We wanted to modernize the tax law, and um, in Parliament, it was twenty-five members we have. It was a twenty-five to 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 nil decision to enact that um, tax law. It would have modernized it, everything was good, but there was one little flaw in it, which the people didn't like. And the flaw was that, well, rental income is not taxed in this country. And even today under the new tax law, it's not taxed. Um, but in the, at that time, we thought, well, we don't need those taxes now, but we give the government the power to to have the, the, the rental income taxed. Not that we all said, no, no, it's not going to happen, et cetera, et cetera. People didn't trust parliament and the government, and they threw out the entire, the entire <laughs> new, new law. And then we have to wait for another, what was it, 10, 15 years, and then we got a new law, and of course we made sure that the rental income is not being taxed. <laughs> you learned your life. Why? Because 70, 70%, 75% of our population owns land. They live in their own homes. We're not, as opposed to Switzerland, for instance, we're not a land of tenants. Of tenants and rentals. Owners. <laughs> and in there's like 70% of Liechtenstein people, they own their homes. In Switzerland, it's 30%, just the opposite. Wow. That, that, that makes a huge difference. Huge difference. So, uh, kind of building on that, um, because those kinds of, you know, as the rule of law deteriorates in some places globally and doesn't in others, right? Um, looking for a stable rule of law means understanding infrastructure and systems. And that's one reason why Liechtenstein has stayed stable because of this interaction between government, the princely family, and one of the things you've always said to me about the princely family is because they're not elected, 
they're not thinking in terms of four-year terms. They're thinking in terms of generations. Literally. Literally, right. L literally. The, again, the country is being named and, and ruled by the family for 300-plus years now. Um, and that family goes back to 1182. So they, they really think in centuries. They don't have to worry about being elected, re-elected, etc. Right. But with those checks and balances, oh, yeah. it, it creates a very stable environment. Does, yeah. So I wanted to um, talk about the legal system um, because that also is something that uh, I find incredibly fascinating. It's very unique. So when we were talking about your background and where you went to law school, um, that's important because Liechtenstein is a civil law country, which means it's not founded on the um, kind of English common law or oral tradition, of uh, which is a completely different system. It's, it's more not founded on precedent um, and, and the court system. It's statutory. Everything is statutory laws. And the, the judges, the court system has to implement, cannot create its own laws as it does in the common law or mm -hmm. used to it. It's 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 also changing in the crying law, but still the concept is very very different. Yeah, right. So the the for our listeners to kind of understand, trust law has historically been the common law, uh, the a structure that was more of a trust relationship was something that looked more like a corporation, a foundation, mm -hmm. something that had strict statutes and was governed within the four corners of the document, which is very different from a loose concept of fiduciary duty, which is grounded very much in a kind of Judeo-Christian idea of this spiritual uh, kind of overarching sacrificial fiduciary duty. So what's interesting about Liechtenstein, uh, as opposed to other civil law countries, is the fact that it's adopted the common law of trusts, also has retained the statutory construct of a foundation, but has also implemented a trust with legal personality, yeah. which as a trust lawyer, I find incredibly fascinating. So, and you and I have used that trust with legal personality to convert from a civil law foundation structure to a common law trust. Um, it's it's kind of like having plugs that fit into, you know, having an adapter going from a civil law foundation to a common law trust. It's almost impossible to do without the interim adapter of a trust with legal personality. So maybe you could just describe that because if I'm not mistaken, the trust with legal personality was something a law that you helped to write well let's let's just talk about it not who did it but the but what exists and i only say that for purposes of the fact that when you help to write a law which i've done too you understand it you understand its history in a way that people who are just reading it might not otherwise understand it yeah well there, there are two major differences or, or things that stand out uh, with regard to the laws of Liechtenstein and others. If we start at the, at the level of the civil law, 
um, we all know that foundations have been a concept in civil laws for, for centuries, but they have always been charitable, public, not private, not family. Mm -hmm. And in 1926, when uh, legislator, the, the, the parliament, um, on the on the basis on the basis of one lawyer, Mr. Beck, Wilhelm Beck was his name, um, he drafted um, a new company law, 1926, and um, it was enacted. And that that genial thing about foundations was that he said, "Why should a foundation only be only serve public purposes and and only charitable? Why not?" for family purposes, for individual purposes. And so that was enacted in Liechtenstein and, and, and there are foundations in Germany, in Austria, but they didn't have that little thing that was added that it could be used by you and me and my mm -hmm. families for generations to follow. And that was the nucleus, the start of um, a very successful company regime legal system. And then at the same time, uh, in 19, what was it, 23 or what, the um, Trustee Act in England was enacted. And this lawyer took this on, thought that was a great idea, something that's been in existence for centuries mm -hmm. with, a, with a great history and case law and everything. Why do I not just um, um, codify it? And he did an excellent codification, which still, which still in place today. And he codified the common law trust in 1925. It was 1925 trustee act. And then two years later in, in 1928, there was an addition, an amendment to the trust law, the business trust law, which is, which he copied from, from, from Massachusetts, the state of Massachusetts. And so there, now we have, we have this law which says there is a, there's the common law trust. We have a business trust, and that business trust a little a little homage or or the thinking of the of the civil law system. We can give it legal personality, and this is what happens. So it is called the, the trust registered. For instance, for our law firm, the the trust company we use. Um, which ha needs a license. Uh, uh, you need to have, um, or you need to have, uh, pass exams to to serve on the board of directors of a trust company, uh, which get, gets a license from the government. It is in the form of a trust registered. So it is a trust, but with legal personality, and therefore has its advantages of of, um, uh, of restricted um, um, liability and. Things like that, right. any other company yeah. or corporation. And then, so you have this legal system which caters to people who, or, or clients who think in the civil law system, foundations, or in the common law system, or that need to go back and forth, or not back and forth, but from one jurisdiction, from one legal concept to another. We're like the, the missing link. Right. Which was a reason why I studied uh, uh, in the common law to provide for that missing link. Right. And that, that's a really important point because as an American lawyer, um, our tax system is uh, can get really bound up 
And is this a, they're very different results. Is it a business trust taxed as a corporation or is it a grantor trust flowing through to the settlor or is it a partnership or exactly, or is it a per se trust taxed at a whole different set of rates? So, um, having the tools available in Liechtenstein to convert a structure to adjust to the you know the tax regime and or the family regime is incredibly significant um, and and very different than Switzerland. Switzerland recognizes trust law but has no body of trust law itself. So when people are thinking about They'll say, oh, I have a trust in Switzerland. That's a very difficult thing to do because the Swiss, there are trust companies operating there, but not under Swiss trust law, under a legal system of a different jurisdiction. Yeah. They recognize, like other countries too, their their, their number of countries that recognize common law trust. <clears throat> That's based on the hate convention mm -hmm. on the recognition of trust. That doesn't mean that they have their own trust law. Right. So you may get stranded. Uh, you may get stranded in a in a canton of Switzerland, so to speak, in in the courts of a canton of Switzerland or the federal courts that have to deal with trusts and trust law, or so they don't have trust law. Right. So it's always foreign to them and and uh, different in this country. Right. And of course, what other what what is important too. As you know, we have lots of clients uh, with U.S. background and with other background. Importance is that the IRS, in, in, in specifically, recognizes the trusts as they are as they are drafted, if drafted properly, of course, um, as trusts, and they're treated like uh, you know, like the trusts under under IRC section. 679 and following um and 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 that's that's the important thing right because these yeah. days information uh, is is everywhere uh, transparency is a big word and uh, we have to make sure that um, that clients comply with their tax laws you just try to get the benefits out of it which might not be from tax point of view but from another point of view right and that is what Liechtenstein can serve and provide for the tools apply everybody can apply them right right so um kind of in conclusion and perhaps um we'll mention on this podcast how freezing i am out here so if i look a little pale <laughs> i think it's 40 degrees so um you know Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit, that's right. Um, uh, and anyone who knows me knows that my I don't have enough blood to stay warm, kind of below 60 degrees. Um, so I think, you know, in conclusion for, uh, you know, families who are, uh, you know, clearly our world is becoming more global. And as we're looking for tools to serve, to serve families, primarily we're looking for wonderful service providers um, people we can know and trust. And um, Ernst, you have been my good friend and mentor for more than 25 years. And your law firm and trust company is is now uh, being you know run by your children and uh, people who are following very capably in your footsteps. We're also looking for a rule of law that we can trust that's not going to be you know turning over 
on a regular basis, which is something that happens in a lot of these jurisdictions. So um, the stability is really, really, really important. And loyalty. And and loyalty. And trust, that's the word. Exactly, exactly. So um, people always ask me, uh, why are you comfortable taking clients offshore? And I say, um, because of, of the loyalty and the rule of law and the fact that I, I have known you and your family for so long and have a very long history of that relationship. So when we're serving clients and their families, uh, we bring, in essence, our families and our loyalty and our friendships yeah. to bear to those structures as well. It's an important basis. As, um, as you have heard, well, my family has been in this area since 1342, and we are very, very well and deeply rooted in this country. Yes. And loyalty is important. We have something to lose here. We don't go to Liechtenstein to make a quick buck and then disappear again. Right. That's not it. And we believe that we have to serve this society and this system, and uh, we can provide this loyalty and this trust to others. But we also have to trust our clients. It's not just that they have to trust us. I would not take on a client if I didn't feel comfortable. So it, it's mutual. It's It goes both ways, you know, I think right. that's very important. Anyway, thank you. Thank so you so much. I really appreciate it. Your you hands got, are... You got warm hands. Oh, no, well, yeah, yours are freezing. So, uh, and thanks to the viewers, we, uh, it's a little cold this morning and raining, but um, we wanted you to be able to kind of share with us a morning sitting outside overlooking the castle, which, by the way, the family does live there. So mm -hmm. it's not an empty castle, and there aren't any tours because it's a private home. So right. thank you so much, Ertz, for thank sharing you. your morning. Thank you. thank you to our viewers. Thank you, Ertz. Bye.